You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So the second chapter of the Mishnah Megillah really delved into how we read the Megillah, but it flicks backwards and forwards between reading the Megillah and other activities related to the Beit Midash, to the temple, as if it's looking backwards. But the Mishnah of Megillah also looks forwards. And we've said before, it's a bit like an instruction manual for running a shul. And sure enough, the third chapter of Megillah gets into the question of what you do with the proceeds if you sell a shul. And this seems to be quite a jump, by the way, from the content of the second chapter. As we move to the fourth chapter, we'll go back again to Megillah reading itself. So this seems a little bit of a diversion. And interestingly enough, in the Babylonian Talmud manuscripts, this chapter is last. This chapter comes later. It comes as number four. But in the Mishnah manuscripts and in the Jerusalem Talmud, it comes as number three. And we're, gonna, we're learning the Mishnah, so we're going to follow the order of the Mishnah. But you should know that the change of tone seems a little bit disruptive. And yes, indeed, in the Babylonian Talmud version of the, of, the, of the Mishnah, it does actually come later on in the tractate, not here. And the chapter begins, If the townspeople sold the town square, they can buy a synagogue with the money. Now, we're into questions of holiness, by the way. And the, uh, the assumption is that they used to use the town square sometimes for tefillah. And, for example, when um, at times of fasting, if the rain didn't come, they'd bring the Aron Kodesh out to the town square. So the, the town square does have some religious significance, but less so than a synagogue. So if they sold it, they can buy a synagogue with the money, i.e. they can buy something more holy. If they sell a synagogue, they can buy an, an, a teva, an ark, an Aron Kodesh. If they sell an, an ark, they can buy Torah scroll covers. If they sell the covers, they can buy scrolls. These are, this will be Tanakh, probably. Sefarim lokhin Torah. They sell scrolls, they can buy a Sefer Torah. But it doesn't work in the other direction. If they sold a Torah, they may not buy scrolls. Sefarim lokhin mit pachot. Scrolls, they may not buy covers. Mit pachot lokhin teva. Covers, they may not buy an ark. Um, teva lo yikhu beit haknesed, an ark, they shouldn't buy a synagogue. Beit haknesed lo yikhu et harachov. They sell a shul, they should not buy a town square. Vechein b'motrehen, similarly with money left over. So if they sell this, um, these scrolls and they buy a Sefer Torah and there's money left over, they have to put that money to buying another Sefer Torah. And Rabbi Meir is actually going to come and R Rabbi Meir is going to come in here 
in two places with a slightly stricter view, but you get a sense as to what is going on here. They may not sell something of the community to an individual. We don't sell a community object to an individual because it lowers its sanctity. There's something about a communal object that has sanctity. So in the previous hierarchy, we're getting closer and closer to the Sefer Torah. As you go to the Sefer Torah, you, you kind of rise up in holiness. And that, that, it's interesting, for example, that the instructions for building the Mishkan given to Moshe uh, by God start with the Aram. They start with effectively the container for the for the Luchot Abrit, for the Torah. So the Torah is at the center of the shul and everything else is lower in sanctity. But there's something else, which is something about um, communal use, which is more, has a significance, which is greater than single use. And by the way, the rabbis object. Amrulo, they said to him, Imkain, af, if they said to him, you, you won't even be able to sell something from a big town to a small town. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure Rabbi Meir would agree here, but the Mahalacha doesn't go according to Rabbi Meir. This principle that we go up in holiness, but not down, is quoted in a number of times in the Talmud. But as we're entering Rosh Chodesh Kislev and we're getting close to Hanukkah, I couldn't resist quoting one of the more famous occurrences, which is in, in the, the Talmud in Shabbat, um, the second chapter, Bameh Madlikin, towards the end, deals with halachot related to Hanukkah. Hanukkah doesn't have its own tractate. Perhaps the rabbis didn't like the Maccabees very much, but they do discuss the Hanukkah lights at the end of Bameh Madlikin, and what they discuss why Beit Hillel likes to light one additional light every night. And they say, the reason for Beit Hillel, that is lighting one more light every night, is we increase in holiness and we don't drop. And this principle comes up a number of times in the Talmud, not just in Megillah and not just in Shabbat, but all over the place. It's a, it's a, it's a well-known concept. Now, Rabbi Meir, we said he's pretty strict. And he says, They can't sell a synagogue at all, except with a condition that it that, that they can buy back whenever they want. Divrei Rabbi Meir, according to Rabbi Meir. And the sages don't agree. The sages say they can sell it in perpetuity. And the sages are pretty pragmatic here. You can see, right? We're in Galut. We're, we're in Shushan Habira. We're in Galut. You know, the festival of Purim is the first festival to be enacted, if you like, outside the land of Israel. And we're dealing with a kind of questions which you will only get if you like, in the land of the synagogue in Galut. So the sages say we can sell the um, we can sell the shul in perpetuity, except for four purposes. Chutzmi Arba'advarim, a bathhouse, Lemerchatz, Ulavur Saki, a tannery, Vilitfila, a ritual bath, Ulaveta Maim, 
um, uh, Beta Mime is a urinal. So two of those are really smelly places. A tannery was an incredibly disgusting and smelly place in those days. And I guess a urinal as well, before they had plumbing, would have been incredibly smelly. And then the Merchatz and the uh, Tfilah, the bathhouse, the ritual bath, these are all places where people would get naked. So I guess those are the two objections. But otherwise, we can sell a shul for any purpose. Rabbi Yudah, and Rabbi Yudah, again, he's incredibly pragmatic. We sell it as a courtyard. The buyer can do whatever he likes with it. In other words, you can sell it on at one level, but you can't control how an event, you know, you can't control um, where that building might be sold onto in future transactions. The Odama Rabbi Yudah, and we'll see in a minute, by the way, that the halakha goes with Rabbi Yudah, but we'll have one more saying from him first. The Odama Rabbi Yudah, Beit HaKneset Shecharav Ein Masbidim Betucho Ve'ein Mash Ve'ein Ve'ein Maf Shilin Betucho Chavalim Ve'ein Porsin Letucho Metsudot Ve'ein Shoch Ein Shochtin Al Gagor Perot. Actually, Rabbi Yudah has more more some more qualifications these apply to a synagogue that has fallen into ruins not one that has been sold so we're now talking about a, an abandoned synagogue a ruined synagogue but even though just like the fragments of the luchot are kept in the aron even though it's kind of no longer a working synagogue it still has some kadusha. so we don't eulogize in it of course, today, by the way, we eulogize even in a working synagogue. But in those days, and we've seen this before, they used to carry the body to the burial place and then they'd stop in the street and they would eulogize in the street. So they were not eulogizing shul in those in, in those times. Ain must be din We don't eulogize in it. We don't um, use it to... Um, uh, twist ropes. You need a lot of space, right, to twist out ropes. We don't lay out nets. Again, you need lots of space to lay out nets. And we don't put out produce. We don't put out fruit on its roof. And we've heard a lot, you know, in the um, uh, the Mishnah of Beitza, we learned about moving fruit on Yom Tov if it started to rain. People are spreading their fruit out on the roof to dry. And again, we need lots of space for this. So we can see why you might want to use a ruined shul to do that. The Ain Osinos or Kapandria, and we don't make it a shortcut. Kapandria seems to be a Greek word, which means shortcut. So we don't do any of these things. It does retain some holiness. Shin Emar. And now we're going to have a quotation from um Vayikra, actually from the curses at the end of Vayikra. And if um if we don't keep Shemitah, then we're going to be exiled from the land and the curses Vahashimoti et Mitashem. I will um well literally I will make into Shemitah. I, I will I, I will desolate your holy places. And the Mishnah says their holiness remains even when they are desolated. Even when God wipes out our holy places, they remain holy. 
And just to emphasize this point, the Mishnah closes, Aluvo asabim loitlosh, mipne agbat nafesh. If grass is sprouting up in this ruined synagogue, we, we can't pluck it up. We can't clean it off because agmat nafesh is, is something like grief. It's because of the grief of the soul. And it's, it's not quite clear why. Why would you not pluck up the grass for the grief of the soul? And the Rambam explains. It's such a beautiful comment from the Rambam. I couldn't resist. Just bring it in full on the source sheet. That's the grief of the soul. It, it, it wants to say that their hearts will be pained. When, when, when there's grass sprouting in the old synagogue. And if they can, they're going to rebuild it. They'll see this grass. Their heart will be pained and they'll try to rebuild it. Or if they can't rebuild it, um, uh, maybe they'll, they'll, their heart will be humbled and they'll return to God if they can't build it. We can pluck up the grass and we can leave it in the same place. You shouldn't uproot it and feed it. Sorry, this shouldn't say eat it. It's feed it. Or you've done and you shouldn't let the grass die out completely. Or you've done the gumra. You shouldn't let the grass perish entirely. And Vedivrei Rabbi Yudah Elu Kulam Emet. And the words of Rabbi Yudah are entirely true. There's something about this ruined synagogue which remains in our hearts. And the grass sprouting up in it is something that we need to keep there just so that it reminds us what our, what our duties are, what our destiny is. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.